What is Montrospective? It's what we say to ourselves and our attitude towards it. We repeat mantras over and over again to ourselves. If we're doing it right, they're positive, not negative. What we say affects our attitude and our point of view. We all have dreams and goals, but how many of us know where to start to make them happen? I am fascinated by everyday people who are doing extraordinary things, and I wanted to find out why and how they were able to be successful. I spent 16 years in radio, not as a DJ, but as a promotions director. I never had an interest in being front and center or putting myself out there as a personality. Fast forward to today, I have something to say and messages from incredible people to share. Simply put, I am interested. I want to know what propels everyday people to follow their dreams in the hopes that it will inspire you to do the same. We have one life to live. Let's listen, learn, and share our journey with the world. This is Montrospective. Montrospective would like to thank our sponsor. If you're looking for a one-stop shop that offers yoga, meditation, Reiki, readings, and various other classes along with being a metaphysical store, check out Mantra in Blue Springs, Missouri off 7 Highway. Also online at mantrakc.com. My next guest spent 20 years as a board-certified emergency medicine physician and is passionate about health and wellness. So much so, she developed her own private practice called Thrive Once More. Her mission is to help her patients live their best lives. In her free time, you can find her hosting Mondays with Morgan on Facebook, where she gives advice, support, and inspiration. She also blogs on her website, thriveoncemore.com. And she's a mom to two daughters, among so many other things. Dr. Ann Morgan, welcome to Montrospective. Thank you, Heather. I'm really happy to be here. I have been so excited to have you on. We've known each other since November. We met each other at an important turning point, I think, of both of our lives where we're both trying to figure out what's next and what's the next level, what, what more can we do? And you recently launched your own practice, which is super exciting after being an ER doctor, literally for 20 years, like I just said. So before we get into all that, we're gonna go back to when you were a child and talk about what kind of person you were and, and what kind of life did you have growing up to lead you to where you are today? Ooh, well, that's a, that, could be a, that could be a long version and a short version, but um, I'll go with the shorter version to start. Um, first of all, let me say thank you for having me. I have been, with this whole COVID thing, I have been craving some Heather time. And so this is like a great opportunity for us to kind of connect again. And I am um, excited to be here. But um, as a kid, I was really curious. Um, I was always outside. We lived out in the country, well, not out in the country, but in a really small uh, rural town in Missouri. Um, and I just was out on my own all the time, just out in nature. Um, I had a um, moss collection. There was a creek behind our house. And I just thought that green is my favorite color. And I thought anything green was worth cataloging. And I would collect all this stuff and it would just get gross. And I'd have snails and stuff and associated with it but I was always outside and um and I had no idea how important that was to me or I just thought that's what all kids did but um it really kind of formed what I found joy doing um but you know I think so I was always interested in science I was always interested in the way things work 
and in nature and that kind of thing. And in fact, I, I kind of always recognized that that was a passion. I don't think that it was ever a formative thought in my head that I recognized that this was my passion, but I do know that it, it always was my happy place. That's easy to identify that over a lifetime that my happy place has always been outside. However, like I just, interestingly, I'm reading a, um, a book um, and I, you've maybe heard of it, but it's Glennon Doyle's new book, Untamed. And I started reading that and she was talking about that and about how about 10 years old for, for girls, maybe at different times, but I was, she was right on about 10 years old. I kind of just stopped being myself. You know, I stopped really recognizing what I wanted to do and started doing what I thought I was supposed to do. And that lasted 35 more years. I mean, it was a long, long journey. I mean, it really has. And so I would say that I did gravitate toward biology. Um, my dad was a physician. And so when it got to be, you know, time to go to college, I thought, well, I like biology. Maybe I'll just be a doctor. I don't know. Um, but I kind of chose that path and I got in and, and I loved biology. So I studied biology in college. I loved ecology. I wanted to join the Peace Corps after college. I had all kinds of dreams about being a marine biologist. And, and honestly, you wanted to too. I remember I that. Yes, yes. I remember that your shark, your shark passion. And yes. so cool. I knew all the sharks too. So we should talk about that sometime. But I, I think I, I was a good student. And, you know, you get to the end of a high school and college career and you recognize that you've done well and you look at what, bio, what does biology get you? And instead of following my heart and getting out there and being brave and just doing something different or something that didn't necessarily make money, I, I mean, I was so excited about maybe being a forest ranger and I had all kinds of thoughts. And in the end, I thought, well, what? You, what do I think my, what do you, what, what am I supposed to do? You know, as a, as an educated, you know, capable woman, what should I do? And I chose medicine. And honestly, I, if I had to do it all over again, and at least until the last couple of years, until, you know, I really had started to figure out what I want my life to look like for the longest time, I've said, I, I wish that I'd chosen differently. I wish I'd been brave enough to listen to my gut and find a different way to apply biology. Um, so that's changed. My perspective has changed a little bit, but for you know, 30 years, I, I thought, well, I guess I'm, I'm, a, I'm a decent doctor and I was okay with that, but it never brought me joy like, a, like I found recently, which has been great. Did you feel pressure during that time to follow through and go to medical school or was it just something you felt like you were good at? This is what I'm meant to be doing. It may be not what my heart wants me to do, but it's what I'm good at. So I'm just going to go that route. Um, that's a good question. I, I think about it and I think my, in fact, my dad was a physician. And so he actually told me, don't do, don't be, don't be a doctor. It's too stressful. It's very stressful. And the, um, you know, malpractices changed and, and the environment to practice medicine has really changed. And he was right. It was absolutely different than what he started with. And so he kind of warned me that it might be a stressful path. But one thing my parents didn't do, and, and, um, and I think a lot of parents didn't do this at that time, was really encourage looking 
elsewhere, like thinking outside the box. And this is before the internet. So I couldn't Google, you know, careers in biology, you know, I mean, it, there really wasn't a lot of resources. And even, even though I went to what I thought was a great school, um, there was nobody there encouraging me to think about what I might want to do. I just kept doing what I thought I was supposed to do. And so even though he kind of warned me that it was stressful, there was not like an alternative offered and I wasn't brave enough to start coming up with my own answers. Was there any personal experiences that you had that told you that you wanted to be a doctor? Did you ever at any point have to save an animal or a person or anything like that and went, wow, this is, you know, kind of a passion. I want to do it. Or you just, this is where I'm going. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, no, I don't think so. Although I do, I did recognize that I was very calm under like in pressured situations. So I do think that I chose the right, um, specialty, you know, emergency medicine served me very well for 20 years. Um, so I think that that I was kind of, I, I knew that I worked well under pressure and so that I, I knew I was going to be capable. Um, I didn't think about whether it would bring me joy. I just knew I would be decent at it. And so that's kind of how I chose it. I think. Too. What was life like as an ER doctor? Oh, it was, um, stressful, uh, fun. Um, I've had some amazing stories. Um, you know, life in the ER is different every day. And I think, as I said, it serves, it served me really well being a mom. Um, you know, there are certainly, I worked nights for many, many years. I worked lots of holidays, but overall, the amount of hours that you put in, um, as an ER doctor on a monthly basis is really pretty good. And you can kind of arrange time off and, and it was a pretty flexible schedule. And so it really served me very well, but I had some great experiences in the ER and I, and I wouldn't really give it up. It was just never my passion. Is there any one particular experience that sticks with you? Well, I try. Um, that's a you know question I get a lot. And there's certainly um, some pretty big stories. And I hesitate to always share them, not for the privacy, but I'm just like, I don't know how gory people want me to get. You know, there's some pretty gory stories. Um, there's some good ones. So, um, no, I could share a couple if you really want me to. If, if you want to share, you can. If not, no worries. Well, this is funny. So um, I was just talking with some nurses the other day and we were kind of, well, the funny thing is, is that a lot of times people say, how was work? What happened? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't, because I really don't hang on to too many of those patient experiences. You know, I remember people, but I don't always remember exactly what was going on with them. And, you know, it's kind of like in the ER, you're just there to put out a fire. You kind of make a diagnosis, you disposition the patient. And that's a large part of what I do. And even though it's different every day, there's only so many things that you see over a lifetime. But somebody was asking me this exact question the other day. <laughs> I was thinking about, I don't know, this is maybe a little gory, but I was thinking about body parts. And um, so I was remembering that a couple, um, couple pretty remarkable um, motor vehicle stories. One time, um, one winter, um, I had a patient that came in after a car crash and he was awake and talking, but he had some pretty significant facial trauma. And truly, um, his nose and his upper lip were gone. I mean, they were just gone. He had he was in an older car without auto safety glass and literally had just been sliced off. So the great thing was, is that 
you know, I'm talking to him and I'm trying to keep a straight face, you know, like, oh, you have no nose and no upper lip. And, but we're having a conversation. He was very awake. And then pretty soon a, a policeman came in and said, I found the nose. And he literally, it was the most amazing thing. This nose and half of a lip and a mustache had not a scratch on it. And it was literally just, I mean, it was perfect, perfect. So when I had that available, I thought, well, I need to get him somewhere where a plastic surgeon, and we didn't have a plastic surgeon available to us at that time at that ER. And so I shipped him out and I hope his nose got reattached. I really don't know, but it was a pretty remarkable story. And then another one, similarly, um, I had a patient that came in with, um, he had been on a motorcycle and was wearing a boot and had another older car, older model car. So thank goodness for advances in auto safety, but had come by and clipped him and they had a metal kind of wraparound bumper. You remember how they used to stick out just a little bit and then wrap around the car and it had just ripped his foot right off. And so he came in, you know, with a amputated lower leg. And then pretty soon somebody came in and said, I found the foot and it was still in the boot. We x-rayed it in the boot to see if it was how intact it was. Anyway, just interesting kind of things like that. See, you and I have completely different dispositions because yes, that grossed me all out. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah. That's no, 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 not like in a literal gross out way, but like I couldn't imagine seeing that and having to deal with that. Whereas you were interested in biology, you were interested in all of these things. And so that's fascinating to you. To me, it's like, oh, that's so gross. That's why I do hesitate to share it because those are things that stick out to me. So some of the other, there's some other ones, there's some good ones, but being an ER doctor, you don't have a chance to get emotionally attached to your patients because they are in and out so quickly. Do you feel like that made your career easier over a 20-year time span that you didn't have a chance to actually get emotionally involved with anyone? You know, I, I think actually that's probably not the case. I think that um, one of my strengths is being empathetic. I think that's why I'm, I'm really loving what I'm doing now because I get to really connect with my private patients. Um, but I think that was one of my strengths in the ER. And I feel like I did have that connection with patients, even if it was for a brief period of time, but when they come into the ER, if they really need to be there, there's a lot of people that don't need to be in the ER and that's fine. But there, when, when somebody's in, when a loved one has died and I have to communicate with the family or when somebody is in a really critical condition and I can look at them in the eye and say, let me help you and, and try to reassure them, then I feel like that was a strength of mine in the ER. And it's not, it's not always um, someone's go-to emotion to show is empathy because you're kind of like, okay, I've got to, I got to save your life. Stop talking. <laughs> but I was somehow, that was one of my strengths. And I really did appreciate those connections that I made with people. Were you able to separate those emotions that you had at work with people when you came home? Cause like you've said, you're a mom. So you've got to come home and deal with a different level of stress at home being a mom. Were you able to, in a way, I guess, leave work at work and then come home and be present? I would like to say yes. That was what I always believed was that, yes, I was able to do that. And I was always kind of, you know, it always kind of shocked me to think that, you know, I had some either a major save or a major disappointment. And I had just told someone that their loved one was, was gone. And then I would walk home or, you know, that I would walk out, go home and literally not mention a word to my family. In the long run, I think 
I probably carried more of that stress that I internalized that I didn't even recognize. You know, I thought I was very good at separating it, but in the long run, probably not. I probably should have been able to share a little bit more, not with my kids, but maybe with my husband at the time. And I think I kind of just bottled it all up. So I thought I was doing a really good job at it, but looking back, probably not. Well, most women tend to try to be super women and think they can handle everything. And we're, we tend to be the last ones to take care of ourselves first. And that's kind of a good transition into what you're doing now. You spent 20 years, you know, taking care of all these people on a different level. And then you kind of started going through your own life's journey of what do I really want? You know, what that little girl had to ignore at the time started coming out. So tell me a little bit about when that process started and how you conceptualized Thrive Once More. Well, um, and if anybody's listening that has read my story on my website, it's very similar. It's very similar. So I'm sorry if it's repetitive for anyone, but it really does. It's, there's no other way I could have gotten here. Um, I just thought I was an ER doctor and that I would be an ER doctor. And I kept looking ahead thinking, oh my gosh, I have another 20 years. I'm almost, I'm almost 20 years in, but I probably have another 20 years to work. I was then a single mom um, and just thinking about, you know, I have to provide for my family. And luckily, the ER provides a good lifestyle, um, but I was pretty worn out, but I didn't even recognize it. But at the time, around, I was probably early, I was in my early 40s, um, I became the medical director at Holiday Aesthetics here in Kansas City. And it's a wonderful place, and, but it really didn't require a lot of effort from my part. I was there in case something went wrong. Um, which hardly ever does because they're just such a quality spa. But the owner, Holly, um, told me, she said, you know, you really should do bioidentical hormone replacement. People really, really want that. I have a lot of clients that are looking for that. And there's really, um, she's like, I don't think there's really anybody in Kansas City that's offering something kind of different. And I thought, Holly, you're crazy because I am, one, not a business owner. I have no interest in being a business owner. And two, I'm an ER doctor. I have no idea what you're even talking about. But about that time, um, my OB-GYN physician, um, Dr. Malika Woods, is who's now a good friend of mine, she was transitioning her practice into exactly what I'm doing right now. And so, you know, I was losing my gynecologist and I thought, well, now I'm gonna have to find another gynecologist and what, I don't even understand what you're doing. But she kind of explained it to me. And she said, do you, do you feel fatigued and tired and I said, yes, yes, I do. But I, I always attributed that to my night shifts. My, my kids are always running around my kids. I'm not sleeping, you know, stress. Um, and I always have been really interested in diet and exercise and thought I was doing absolutely everything right in that. Um, but then I started to recognize that, you know, I used to be able to lose 10 pounds whenever I wanted, but now I can't do that anymore. I'm grumpy, 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 super grumpy. And um, things were really feeling hard. And I thought, well, what is, what, this is not the life that I envisioned for myself in my early forties. I wanted to find joy and I couldn't find it, but I just kept attributing it to my, my job, my stress. And I thought, you know, I don't know what Holly is talking about but I would like to feel better. So I'm thinking I'm going to take this journey with Dr. Woods and see how things go from a patient perspective without having a placebo effect of doing the, the research on the medicine part of it. I wanted to experience it solely as a patient. And so I did. And I tell you what, it was life-changing. It was a gradual improvement, but my energy level, my, um, I had horrible migraines. I had really, really bad daily headaches and then also 
fairly significant migraines. And those got so much better. And when I came out on the other side of maybe a year with Dr. Woods, I thought, oh my gosh, I feel so good. And if I could share this with people, that would really bring me joy. And so I started down the road of doing all the education. And when I sat in those courses, I was so blown away by the amazing benefits of hormone replacement, not only just for the time of menopause, because that's a very you know logical thing to think. It's all about menopause, but perimenopause lasts 10 years before menopause and 10 years after for some people. So that there's a, you know, a pretty significant chunk of time where you're starting to have that gradual hormone decline that manifests itself in very um, vague ways. So you can't just say, I have a rash and what do I do with this? It's more like, I, I just don't have the drive I used to. And there can be literally no better explanation than just that. And when you go to your doctor with that, and we've talked about this, Heather, when you go to your doctor with those symptoms, they say, well, let's look at your thyroid or let's look at something. And they say, nope, you're normal. Why don't you just, you know, exercise more, eat less. However, whatever you go there with, with a vague complaint, it's not always, there's never a hard and fast answer. And so when I recognized that I could potentially help people feel just better at any age, men and women, um, I really realized that this is what I want to do. And so then the hardest part was the business part of it because I am not a business person. And so that was the biggest challenge. That's where I really had to get like a mantra perspective, like really coach myself through that part. Because when I did the education, I was sold. I was like, this is absolutely beneficial. Um, but the business part of it has been a, more of a challenge. So where did you start? Did you take business classes? Did you talk to friends and associates and get advice or what was your process in jumping into that? Because it is incredibly intimidating if you have never done anything like that before. Yeah. Um, well, Dr. Woods is now, um, she is coaching women and mostly women, but men too, but she coaches people in doing the exact same thing. So she and um, one of her good friends that she met in California um, have started a coaching business. And so I hired them for my coaches and they are just wonderful women. And so it's, and then I've also just started consuming stuff, you know, like I love, love, love audio, audible books, podcasts, and that has really changed my life. It is really exactly what you're doing, Heather, has really, I've heard positive messaging from lots of people um, and it's, it's really made an impact and given me the courage to, to kind of get out there and create the life that I want to live. So the day that you turned in your notice at the hospital that you're leaving the ER and you're starting your own business, what did that feel like to you? Was that a sense of success? Was it, you know, I'm scared, I'm terrified, I'm happy. Was it all the above? A little bit of all the above, but mostly just super happy. I mean, like I am, I have given my time, you know, I've been doing it 20 years and that, um, and that takes a toll. And I feel like had I started this journey 10 years ago, then I don't think I would have had, I would have been a little, little more trepidation about getting out there and doing something completely different because I don't think I would have felt like I was using my training the way that I was meant to, but I feel like I put in my time. I really do. And so I am just, if I, I hate to say this because I still am working some shifts in the ER, but if I never worked in the ER again, it would, 
not make me sad. I would not miss it. I've met some wonderful, wonderful people. I've made some wonderful friends, nurses and physicians that I've worked with. And ER is like a family. It really is because you are in the trenches together and it, we can have fun and easy days. And then you can have some really heartbreaking, you know, critical moments. And when you're all there together, you create a family. And so I've been so blessed to have made so many close, um, had so many close relationships with people um, but I'm done. I'm ready to be done. Well, and you mentioned this in an article I read that you uh, were in recently that, um, you know, COVID-19 and everything right now, you know, you would have been in the midst of all of that, you know, and so I know you have empathy for those that are still there doing it, but can you imagine what that would have been like right now for you if you still would have been there? Yeah, I know. I'm glad that I've been able to do some shifts because I do feel like had I quit, I mean, nobody could have predicted this, right? And had I been completely out the door and not willing to work some, then I think I would have felt really guilty at this point, but I've been able to work and kind of fill in when people need a break and things like that. So it's actually just an ideal situation. But just reminds you that, hey, I'm really glad that I went off and did my own thing too, because you have that to look forward to when you walk out those doors. Was everyone in your life really supportive of this change or did you deal with any criticism from anybody and if so how did you handle that that's a good question um i'm a really private person about my dreams and aspirations i don't share them a lot i had some friends that i shared you know my ideas with and they were very positive about it but i tend to really make decisions on my own kind of do a lot of thinking for almost years. I'm kind of a slow mover when it comes to big things like this. Um, and so my parents, I talked to them about it. They didn't really understand the concept. Um, and so that was, that was fine. They do now. And there's, they both are like, we want to be your patients. And I'm like, come on, let's do it. But um, they, they didn't quite get it. It's very non-traditional medicine um, for the most part. It's um, so yeah, I mean, I just didn't share a whole lot with people, but my business coaches, um, Dr. Woods and Dr. Henry were wonderful. So they really, really supported me through that. What continues to inspire you on your journey? Other women doing similar things. You inspire me. So I'm so proud of you. You know, you, you, when you and I met in November, you said, I think I want to do a podcast. And I was like, oh, really? Do you have any, pod-? you know, I was like, I wasn't critic. I wasn't, I wasn't um, skeptical but I thought, oh, that's interesting. That's really interesting. And you, it was a concept in November and here you are and you're just doing a fantastic job. So I love it. Well, thank you. I appreciate that very much. You know, we've talked about you being on your own kind of spiritual journey, figuring out who you really are in your life. What have you learned so far about yourself? I've learned who I am and I've learned to not apologize for my weaknesses. Um, That's taken me 48 years. I mean, really, truly, that's something that I'm just finally doing. I, I used to be, uh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, can I ask you a question? I'm sorry. You know, and I, I don't do that anymore and I don't miss it, you know? Um, so that's something as far as a spiritual journey goes, I really kind of went out on my own with that too. I grew up, um, Presbyterian. And then for a long time, I didn't go to church because it was so hard to get two young kids and um, everybody to church and everybody dressed and on time. And I just gave up. And then um, three or four years ago, I thought, you know, it was kind of the same thing about being out in nature. 
for some reason, I always wanted to be Catholic, always. And I don't know why. I just remember going to just a few Catholic services with friends when I was young. And I thought, well, here I am, you know, 44 years old. Why? I can be Catholic if I want to. And so that was a big step, but it's something that is really, and um, you know, there's a lot of controversy in the Catholic church, obviously, but it's my journey and I am, I love it. It's really brought me a lot of peace. Um, so it's, it's been a, a neat thing to be able to give myself permission to be who I am. Well, it's really interesting with my previous podcast guests, I keep finding things in common with each of you which I find fascinating. I think I'm kind of starting to define who successful people are and where they come from and how they grew up. And each of you have mentioned having a connection to the outdoors, playing outside or wanting to be outside or wanting to create outside. So there's something, something there. I was the same way as a kid. You couldn't keep me inside if you tried. I wanted to be out. And I'm you know, now at um, almost 44 years old this weekend, I have this connection to water. Like I want to be around water all the time. Um, and I don't know what that connection is, but it, it's kind of like fuel almost. So I find that really interesting that it seems like everybody has this connection when they were a child to being outside. So I guess for everybody listening right now, get your kids outside, <laughs> have them connect with nature. And I, you know, there's gotta be something to that. Don't you think? I do. Absolutely. I do. Um, and, and it may be something different for other people, but yes, I mean, just thinking outside the box and I do worry about, you know, our screen time. I worry about my girls. I mean, they, one of them is very outdoorsy. Um, but I do worry about, um, not getting the exposure that we did because we didn't have a screen to, to stare at. So, um, yeah, but I, yeah, it's my, it's my church being outside too, is also just my spiritual place that's a whole separate topic is talking about how we grew up compared to how kids now grow up. It's night and day. You know, we couldn't wait to get outside and be creative and, um, you know, play and use our imaginations. And now kids are in front of their phone or a computer screen, or they're playing a game or whatever. And, you know, that's kind of interesting to see. I have two young nephews who, you know, by the time they were two years old, knew how to work, you know, a tablet and all of that. And it's just, it's amazing to me that that's, that's where we're going. So I encourage everybody to get your kids out in nature anyway, just because I think that's healthy mentally. I know that's where I want to go, where I want to clear my head. I just, I'll go sit in my backyard, listen to the birds, listen to the wind. You recently posted a video on Mondays with Morgan, uh, where you talk about achieving success and you talked about how important it is to have a vision. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that was, um, I really enjoyed that. I wrote a blog on it as well. And, and I had some ideas in my head before I started to write, but I thought, well, I probably can't just spit out my ideas. I probably should just do a little research on what science says about success. And so I looked into some research articles um, some studies where they had really truly studied success. What I found, the biggest thing I took away from that was that Success requires, well, two things. Success requires daily work. It's not, you know, I mean, very few of us win the lottery as nice as it would be, but success requires a little bit of dedication every day and small steps working in one direction. Um, and then the other big thing that I took away from that was that you really have to have a 
vision of what you want before you can get there. Because when you start to get derailed with what you think is going to work to get you there, if you don't have that strong vision in mind, you will struggle to find the next way to get there. And you might just give up. And I can say that when I recognized the small steps piece, I was like, okay, yes, I've done that my whole life. And I didn't have words to explain it that way, but I knew that that worked for me to make small changes, do one thing at a time, not get too discouraged when you have a little slip back. But the vision part is something new for me. And so that's something I've also discovered in the last couple of years that I have to have a really strong idea of what I want my life to look like, or I will end up giving up when I get discouraged. Um, and I'm not a quitter, but I almost think that it's not even a matter of quitting, but a matter of keeping going. So I don't see myself as a quitter, but I need to have that really clear vision of what I want so that no matter what happens, and actually COVID is a perfect example of that. So, you know, I had this really clear vision of what I wanted um, my life to look like, what I wanted my practice to look like. I wanted to be able to, I define my, my vision at this time as freedom. I want the freedom to be able to see private patients, not have to work ER shifts, not work weekends and holidays, literally just create a new life for myself. And then that felt like it was going to happen. Um, March came, February came, I had some, I had several patients booked in March and then all of a sudden they all canceled. Everybody was scared about spending money or even about being exposed to just being out in the world. We all shut down. And what I was so thankful for was that I knew that no matter what, I, I wanted that goal so badly. I didn't, I, it was, I had to struggle. I had to find shifts in the ER to work. I financially, I was a wreck. I was, was because I had spent all my savings getting ready to get this business up and running, but I was never once deterred that this was not what I still wanted, even though I was, you know, very challenged with this current situation. But I was so thankful that I had developed that vision in my mind about what I wanted for my life and for my career. And so it really kept me going through that, through that time. Well, and I think it's important for people to know, too, that you can have that clear vision and have no idea how you're going to get there, but that's completely okay. You just have to start visualizing it every day and, like you said, taking those small steps toward yeah. it. Um, what do you want people to know most about your journey in life to this date? What has, I guess, propelled you to be where you are today? Well, I would say that it hasn't been an easy journey. I've had lots of struggles, but I feel like um, what I'd like, particularly when I think about what I want people to think, well, and actually I try hard not to want to, to even think about what people think because that's part of my, um, my struggles with my, you know, over a lifetime, I think we all fall into that trap. But I also, I think about what I want my girls to see and I absolutely want them to see that their mom had an idea. She thought of outside the box. She worked hard and gave up a lot to get there. And that I'm, I can recognize when things aren't right and try to change my life to improve my situation. And I think that's the, you know, I struggled. Parenting is, is super hard. And I can't remember, your last guest was, yeah. had 
perspective on parenting. And I was like, yes. It, and she was talking about how calm she always was, but how when your kids are, they can really get you going really quick. And I was that kind of parent. I was pretty calm friend, very laid back, good ER doctor, but man, my kids could set me off. Um, but I think the, the, the best tool we have to teach our kids is to be a model. And, and Glennon Doyle said this, and I loved it be a model and not a martyr. So being a mother is not about being selfless. You know, I think that's what we've always thought it was. That's what I've always thought it was. But when I really realized that that wasn't working, that I couldn't just be everything to everybody. And when I started to build myself up, I can't give my girls, particularly girls, I can't give my girls a better gift than showing them what a strong woman can do all by herself. That's powerful. Your girls are lucky to have you. They're going to grow up to be incredibly strong, brave women as well. So can't wait to see what they do. <laughs> do are either one of them interested in the medical field, or do oh. they have their own? No, I have my. I have the same perspective that my dad did. Don't do it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, and I don't. I don't know that I care at all about what they do as long as they are good people and happy. And that's that's hard to find. It's it's an easy thing to say but it's a hard thing to accomplish. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what do you do to center yourself and calm yourself? I mean, you've said you're pretty much an even keeled person emotionally anyway, but we all need to take that break and reset and recharge. What kind of practices do you have for yourself to kind of get you to that grounded place? Outside of wine, I guess. You mean. <laughs> no, wine is completely fine too. Wine is a tool. Sometimes I'm learning to use it less and less. Um, I do, I do a lot of kind of self-talk. Um, I'm planning to do a course in mindfulness. I purchased a course at an auction, um, and an online mindfulness course, and I know the person that teaches it and she's wonderful. So I'm super excited to take that course. Um, but I know kind of what that means. And it is just even knowing what mindfulness even is, is a really good tool. Um, I tend to kind of well, I pray a lot. So prayer gets me through um, some of those times where I start to feel unsettled. And I think one of the things that I feel like is um, something that I really understood about myself in the last just few years really is when to recognize the feelings that I have, the feelings that I just used to suppress. Um, I've struggled with depression my entire life, you know, since the time I was, um, well, in high school, I mean, like, literally, I can remember just, I've always had depression. Um, but what I have recognized is that when you give that some space and don't try to just shut it out and start to recognize when you start to feel kind of in a negative way, then when you catch it like that, it's so much easier to stop than when you've had two weeks of just feeling down. And then it's just, I can't, you know, then, then that's when that, those emotions really boil up. So I, I'm getting better and better at being in tune with how I feel. When you recognize those feelings, what do you do? Is it a conversation with yourself? Is it you go sit in peace and pray for a while? What do you do when those start bubbling to the surface? Maybe all of the above. But one thing I think that I do is I give myself permission to have those feelings. So instead of wishing that I wasn't a depressed person or wasn't you know, sometimes um, struggling, I give myself 
a day to do it. You know, I mean, certainly there's things that need to be done and I'm not, a, I'm not one of the, I'm not, thankfully, I've always been able to just do what needs to be done. But if my to-do list isn't super long, then I'll just stay in, you know, I don't feel, I don't, I no longer beat myself up for not having a super productive day. So that's something that I've, I've learned. That's valuable, valuable advice for everybody. Um, because again, I think, especially as women, as I've said before, we tend to beat ourselves up a lot. We do have to be the caregiver. Um, we, we wear all sorts of hats and titles every day in our lives. And sometimes we don't give ourselves that permission to feel our feelings and, and give us that moment that we need. So I think that's an important message for everybody to, to hear. So thank you for sharing that because, you know, I think everybody goes through different levels of depression throughout their lives. Some of us deal with it every day. I certainly have. And I'm kind of like you, I'm starting to finally recognize it and try to squash it before it gets serious. Everybody handles things differently and everybody needs to find what works for them. And for me, I'll, I'll just mentally check out. I won't be on social media. I, I won't talk to anybody for a couple of days and just try to bring myself back. And usually that works. Yeah. And I'm finding that there's no reason to apologize for that. You know, I used to feel bad, like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I haven't answered your text in two days, but I don't really feel that way anymore. So it's good to give yourself permission to take that break. Why do you think that we do that because I, I agree I apologize all the time for everything and I've I've really tried to recognize that myself and why am I saying I'm sorry to this you know I, I don't even know what it would be it just it feels like we're almost born with it <laughs> that, that that's what we're expected to do is apologize for how we're feeling instead of just owning it and I think that's a gender thing I think that you know um and I'm not, you know, a huge feminist or anything, I, but I do find some of those messages really resonate with me. I realized that at an early age, my voice just got quieter. And so, um, you know, I just, I, I used to be kind of a really gregarious, kind of annoying, probably very annoying kid. I used to make stupid jokes, the burp. I used to always get in trouble because I thought I was such a great burper. And so my parents would be like, stop, it's so gross. It's not ladylike. And pretty soon I listened to them. And then my kids do it too. And I'm like, stop that. Don't, don't burp. That's gross. And then I think, oh, whatever. Boys burp. And we don't ever, I mean, it's annoying, but we don't really admonish them for it. So I think it just started so early. I remember, um, actually, this made me think of something I haven't thought about in years. But I remember when I was young and thought I had the world by its tail, I was watching a, um, a commercial and we were in like, a situation where I there were a couple families there and all the kids were in front of the TV and there was a there was a secret commercial um, for secret deodorant and um, the the tagline was um, men perspire more um, and I think it was for secret it was a deodorant commercial and it was men perspire more and I said no they don't no they don't I had no idea what perspire meant but I had a voice I wanted to make sure that there was nobody that believed that women weren't equal to men and then that was when I was I think that eight or nine and then I just think that voice just got quieter and quieter until now glad you found it again because your girls need to hear that and see that for sure all right so what advice would you give anybody who's aspiring to 
start their own business at this point, no matter what it is. I, I know that I read in your bio and in articles that you're a planner. You wanted to dot all the I's and cross all the T's before you ventured out into starting your own business. Is that what you recommend, you know, being everything that you've gone through? Do you feel like that was the right path for you? It was right for me. I don't think it's right for everyone. I think I needed, particularly with the, and when I refer to that in, in red, it's all about the business piece. The medicine part of it, I was like, okay, cool. I, I can do this. And I actually did have several of my friends and family that I treated for the last couple of years for free, because I was like, I just want, I just want to start this, but I, I don't want to charge anybody for it. But for me, the slow path was, was fine. Um, but what I would say, um, I read something recently about having confidence and I sometimes lack confidence. It's not important to have confidence. It's important to have courage. And so I finally started to feel courageous enough to say, I'm going to learn the business portion of this. And so for me, it took me a, a while and some other people that are go-getters probably would have had that rolled out drive once more rolled out five years ago, but it was the right um, time frame for me. But I would say to, to people that are thinking to do the same thing, really listen to your inner voice. Like what really drove me was that feeling like, I feel like this would be something I would be really gifted with. I have a, a heart for helping people in a different way than I've been blessed to do in the emergency room for so long. And I was ready to use it. So kind of listening to that inner voice and not trying to do what you think you're supposed to do, because I gave up a really profitable career, really. and. I don't know what my future looks like. I really don't. But I know that I'm doing what I love. And that means more to me than if I end up bankrupt and back in the ER. So I think that's about the most important thing that you could have said this entire podcast is just have courage. Just have courage. Just just get out and try something. Just do it. It's okay if you fail. It's okay if it doesn't work out. It just means that wasn't your path. Move on to the next thing. Try something else. So Thank you for sharing that. Um, we are at the point in the podcast where I am going to ask you to find your mantraspective. Um, as I've explained in previous podcasts, we all allow our outside events to affect our mood. So I'm going to give you a scenario and you're going to find your mantraspective by coming up with two positives from this situation. So I know you have a dog, right? Okay. Okay. So this is, this is in relation to your dog. You had a long day and you're just excited to get home and relax. You walk in to find your dog has chewed up your favorite shoes. Find your retrospective. Oh, Heather. I listen to a podcast. I think, well, I've done that one. Yep. I've been in that situation and absolutely I've been in this situation. And sometimes it's more than just chewing up shoes, but like messes that you're just too exhausted to even clean up. Um, okay. So first of all, I, I, I don't, this is not my biggest strength. Sometimes when I do get in those situations, I do find myself letting them compound. And so what I'm learning and what my, my mantra perspective would be, um, two things. One, I'm learning to say just this, just this, just because I have to clean up this mess or throw away my favorite new shoes. That doesn't mean that the rest of my day or the next couple of days is going to compound to be a bigger problem. This is just one problem and I can, I can solve it. 
it's easy to solve and throw the shoes away. So I'm kind of trying to learn just this, just this moment right now. And then the other thing I think, um, well, I guess another positive about it would be that it's not going to break me. This is a, this is a super easy, I mean, it's kind of the same sentiment, I suppose, to what, you know, I would say if I were saying just this right now, but I have come through so much that this is pretty, this is small potatoes. Like, Hey, this is, I got this, this is easy. And, um, it's not as big as some of the other things I've been through. So I try to put those little things in perspective. Well, I'm going to start using just this. Uh, the other day I had gotten out of the shower, got ready. It's completely good to go for the day. Took my dogs outside and the ornery one decided to roll in a mud puddle and come back in the house. So I actually am thankful to have my voice back because I did not find my retrospective in that moment. And I yelled to high heaven and lost my voice. So I'm going to start saying just this in those moments because that's pretty powerful. Just this, just got to clean her up. It's fine. It'll be okay. So thank you. That's helpful advice for me. And this may be different because I mean, I, I, just this is obviously a mantra, but do you have your own personal mantra that you say to yourself to keep yourself going? I do actually. Um, my dad, um, this was something that he said to me. I was I ran cross country when I was in high school and I was horrible at it. I mean, really, truly bad. I loved it. I loved running. I, I love, I love that mental fortitude that it gives you, you know, just, just keep pushing, just get one more mile but I was a terrible runner, but he was, um, he used to say to me before a race or, and, and really it started with the cross country thing. He would say, Annie, run hard. And so I knew that I was going to run as hard as I could, but that then we said that to each other for the rest of our lives. So when I was in the delivery room, you know, delivering my daughter, um, he came in and he said, Hey, run hard. And I was like, Oh, don't say that, you know, it made me tear up, but actually I've adopted that as my own personal mantra because when I recognize that I'm in a difficult situation, I think about not just powering through it, that that's not the same. It doesn't mean the same thing that it meant to me years ago, but when I say it, I remember all of the things that I've been through and it, it, it reminds me that I can get to the other side that this is just one of those challenges and I will get to the other side, just like I've done in the past. And I will do it through somewhat hard work, but also knowing that I'm resilient and that I will run hard and, and finish that race. I couldn't think of a better way to end this podcast than that. Everybody run hard, go out today and run hard, whatever that means for you. Thank you so much for joining me today. The work you're doing will continue to change lives for the better. For everybody, if you're interested in learning more about Thrive Once More, visit thriveoncemore.com. If I could say Thrive Once More one more time. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you again soon. Remember, your thoughts become your reality. You have all you need to begin to make your dreams come true. Dream it, believe it, manifest it. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you again soon.